Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're currently in a series right now entitled Atmosphere. And we've been looking at the importance of atmosphere and how it can shape your life for the good or for the bad. Every single one of us here today are surrounded by different atmospheres. You can't escape the fact that there are atmospheres that surround your life, that are involved in your life, your marriage, your home, your church, your nation, your city, your school, your workplaces. There's atmospheres all over the place. So we've been talking about this because atmospheres play a profound effect on who you are and actually what you become in God. And so we've been talking about this aspect of atmosphere and there's contributing factors that make up these atmospheres. Now, every single one of you have an atmosphere of your life or around your life or about your life. And there's different things that make up that atmosphere. There's your belief systems, there's your convictions, there's your attitudes, there's your behaviors, all of those things combined. You work a long time at creating this vibe or this atmosphere, this mood of who you are and who you've become. But we've been talking about how to change those or how to enhance those so that we would have a God atmosphere, that we would be known as people who live life and live life to the full or live abundant lives. And that there's a God atmosphere in our lives and there's a God atmosphere in our church and in our services and in our home and in our marriage. And so we've been talking about these things that we can put into our life that will help us to become more like him. And the three predominant uh, attributes that we've been looking at, and again, there are many different attributes, but the three main ones that we've been looking at in this series is the whole area of prayer, praise, and power. And we spent the first couple of weeks talking about this whole aspect of prayer and that more prayer is better than less prayer. And when we incorporate prayer into our life in every area, on every occasion, in every manner, that we begin to change the atmosphere of our life. We begin to have more faith. We begin to see things more like God sees them. We begin to see him move on our behalf. And because of that engagement of prayer with him, life becomes better. And that prayer is something that we're all called to. It's not just a few people, but every person has been given the call to pray. And so we've talked about that. Now, how many people, since we've been talking about prayer, have actually increased their prayer life and they've seen the atmosphere in their life change a little bit? Come on. It actually works because it's Bible. And we shifted and we began to talk about the whole area of praise or worship. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how worship, again, plays a critical role in changing, again, the atmosphere in our life, as well as in our services and in our church culture. And as we talked about this whole area, there's been a working definition, if you will, that we've been reading over the last couple of weeks that isn't something that we just want you to read or something that we want you to memorize. The whole goal of this is that you actually become what we're about to read. 
Keep in mind as we read this, these are thoughts that actually are, are comprised from the word of God. This isn't a Pastor Frank definition or a charismaniac kind of a thing or a Pentecostal idea. These are actually thoughts that came from the Bible that were put together to put a definition. This is God's idea of how you're supposed to engage with him, not just during the service, but every day of your life. Come on, how many know that worship goes beyond a 30-minute weekend experience? Worship is a continual thing that we do every day. And so I want to read this definition with you. You're going to read it with me. This is God's desire and plan for you. Would you read this with me from the top? Come on. One who worships God with a fervent heart, voice, and actions in an extravagant fashion of celebration, freely pouring out praise and worship with intense affections, expressing one's deep love of God. Now, I know for some of you this morning, you read that and you say, I'm not there. You might be new to City Bible Church and maybe even our worship service today freaks you out a little bit. People are singing songs with no words on the screen and they're clapping and this guy in the front row is going, hey, you know, and which I love his passion, by the way. I said that first service, he sat through two services today. He couldn't get enough of God. Come on, it's a hot thing, but come on, it's might be new to you. That definition, as you look at it, immediately in your mind, you begin to reason why that isn't you. It might be because of your tradition. Well, you know, in the past and all these years, we, I've never done it that way, so therefore I'm not going to do it this way in the future. It might be because you come from a different religious background, or maybe you come from an evangelical, non-spirit-filled background, and they just didn't raise hands during the days that I went to church, and so somehow it's a, a different theological or doctrinal position. Maybe it's even your personality. You're saying, well, you know, Mark, I'm... I'm you know, kind of a shy, quiet guy, and you're asking me to get real excited. And I read that word, intense affections. It's, it's just kind of not me. And, and, but reality of your personality, regardless of the style of which you think and don't think, this is God's idea that every single person that is here this morning should live by. Now, I have to say that I have been there before where I read something like this and it freaked me out. When I got saved back in 1982, in August of 1982, I walked into this little church in Lake Tahoe, California. At the time, it was called Glad Tidings. And I had um, recently given my life to Christ, I believe, that week. And we went to a Bible study, and it was just acoustic guitar, and I could do that. But I walked in on this Sunday morning, and it was like walking into uh, this freak zone. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. There was this guy, again, Faith Press is here. Faith, stand up. I know I made you do this before. Faith was three years old at that time. Her dad was playing this big old Hammond organ and he was playing this song. I still remember it. The words are so easy. It was hallelujah, hallelujah. And everybody, hallelujah. And their kids are all twirling around and banners are flying. And there's about 409 tambourines going and I mean people are praising and singing and there's people behind me speaking in tongues I tie my tie you tie my tie I tie my tie you tie and I'm just man I was just sitting there paralyzed I'm just going oh man this is just like a freak show I've been there but you know what it really didn't matter what I thought or what I didn't think in regards to what they were doing see God's word God knows what's better for you 
more than what you think is better for you. And right now you're sitting here, again, some of you might be saying, well, I just can't do the intense affection thing. I really can't do the extravagant worship thing because it just really isn't me. And God would let you know, I appreciate your opinion, but I know what's best for you. You know, I love to do kind of goofy things every once in a while. And it was actually just a couple days ago, I pulled into a gas station. And as I pulled into this gas station, this funny thought came to me is just to kind of clown around with the guy there that was going to ask to pump my gas uh, because I always look for opportunities to witness to people. And so I don't usually recommend this approach, but it was what I did that day. And so he pulls, uh, he walks up to the window and he says, what you need? I said, "Uh, fill her up with uh, Mountain Dew. And he kind of looked at me and it was like, you know, I heard him say that, but he really didn't say that. He said, excuse me, sir. I said, yeah, fill her up with Mountain Dew. And he looked at me and he says, you know, I've never heard that before. He kind of laughed a little bit, threw a cigarette down, you know, blew some smoke in the window and put it out. And he says, listen, there's no Mountain Dew in the pumps. Now it was actually like this. He's trying to debate with me why we shouldn't put it in. I says, hey, listen, it's my car and I want Mountain Dew. He goes, there's none in the pumps. You know, I can go inside and get it out of the counter if that's really what you want. I said, that's fine. Clear out the shelves. It doesn't matter. Fill her up with Mountain Dew. The point is, was this, is regardless of what I thought was best for me, the manufacturer of that vehicle had a different thought in mind. And he told me, he finally said to me, he says, you know what? He says, if you were actually to put Mountain Dew in it, how far do you think you'd get down the road? I said, about two feet. He goes, you're exactly right. It would bring disastrous results. See, but in our lives, we do the same thing. We as people think we know what's best for us. So we choose to either go to church or not go to church. Or we choose when we come into worship, well, I'm going to worship or I'm just going to space out. I'm going to sleep in. Or I'm going to read my Bible. It just is my life. I can do what I want. I know what's best for me. I don't need the world telling me what to do. And to be real honest with you, I do a lot of counseling and stuff. It's no wonder that people's lives are in such shambles is simply because they've tried to live their whole life based upon what they think is best, not what God thinks is best. And so the writer of Ephesians, Paul, he begins to talk about some thoughts. And in Ephesians 5, he's bringing up this whole concept about what it means to live in the light. And he's saying, hey, there's some things that you need in your life. That if you just follow these scriptures and you actually obey them, knowing that God knows what's best for you, Fritz. And if you just live those things according to what God says, you're going to find alignment Happiness, peace, joy, faith, contentment, security, hope, if you'll do those things. And so the first 14 chapters, he begins to talk about, hey, love other people. I mean, he says, don't get involved in sexual immorality, perverse thoughts. Don't get involved in rude jokes or coarse talking. Don't get greedy. Don't live an impure lifestyle. He's saying, if you're going to fill your life with these things, you're going to be on a crash course. And so he's trying to help us with that. 
And the next five verses, 15 through 20, he begins to talk about this whole concept of the way that you find out how to live a life that's for God. In fact, he goes on to say this. He says, he says, find out what God wants you to do with your life and do it. And then he begins to talk about the key to living an abundant life, the key to living a victorious life, to living an abundant, Christ-filled, spirit-filled, abundant life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And right before this verse in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Greek word actually means to be filled to the brim continuously. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, if you want to live a life that is filled with abundance and faith and hope and you have clean airspace and you want to live a victorious life and not get all beat up and tired and fatigued and depressed and discouraged, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Okay. I can do that. Filled to the brim continually, not just 30 minutes on a weekend. So he's trying to give us a key here. And it's in that context that he says this, you, you're filled with the spirit by one of the ways here, speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So he's saying one of the components that fills you with God so that you can become who you're supposed to become is singing hymns. Now, we started last week by talking about a component of worship called lifting hands. And that when we lift our hands, something supernatural happens. As we move to this next component, you'll see that Scripture has a lot to say about hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. And Paul is saying one of the keys to being filled with the Holy Spirit is to engage in worship by fervently seeking him with your voice, with action. In Colossians 3, again, Paul's writing to the Colossians and he says the exact same thing. He brings up this thought. In Colossians 3, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Come on, he wants an abundance of what we're talking about here. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Here it shows up again, these three things. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hmm. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so I want to look at these three things here this morning as we talk about this next aspect of worship, this next next aspect of atmosphere, and we begin to talk about this whole area of singing. And let me just define these quickly for you. The first one is this, Psalms. Paul is saying one of the ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to sing Psalms. And Psalms are simply songs of praise from scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament, if you were to open your Bible right about in the middle, there's 150 of these particular poetic poems, if you will. They're Psalms that are directed towards God. And so when we declare his word through song, we're activating absolute truth with the presence of God and something happens. Now, if you've been in church any length of time and you go back, oh, I'd say maybe 
20 years or so, you'll remember singing psalms all the time. In fact, that's all we used to do, of course, in King James Version, right? Anybody remember singing those songs? There's literally hundreds of scriptures that I've memorized because we sang them to death over 10, 15 years. I remember going back into Lake Tahoe and that church. That's all we sung were these particular songs in King James. How about this song? Maybe you guys can sing it with me. Come on. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Come on. He. Very good. So you remember Isaiah 51, 11. We sang another song called What a Mighty God We Serve. He and What a Mighty God We Serve. Come on. What a Mighty God We Serve. Go forth, go forth into the ripe and field, for they are ripe in the harvest. Come on, you remember all these songs? Some of you are looking at me saying, now this guy's definitely freaked out. There's no anointing there, but I'm just trying to help you about what a psalm's all about. One of the ones we used to sing was, was a, a pretty cool song. And it actually had the address at the end, so it made it a real bonus. It went something like this. It went, Beloved, let us love one another. Now let us love. Girls would go, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. I don't know with God. Be the name of not. Not God, for God is love. And Bill Kimball would always go, God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. Seven and eight. And always he'd say, now get up and love one another. And we'd go around hugging each other. Beloved, let us. And it's just kind of a real corny deal. But it was a, it was a song that we sung out of scripture. We actually, as a staff, have a list of the top 10 songs you should have never sung in church. Now, imagine this. We actually used to smile and sing these songs. What about this one? The, the song that goes, eat the fat and drink the sweet. Now, imagine that. Just, I mean, eat the fat, drink the sweet. That's an awesome. What about this one? A drink his body or eat, no, eat his body and drink his blood. Come on, fa la 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 la. Imagine the visitors. I mean, you walk in and you're just you're raising your hands and you're saying, "Eat his body and drink his blood." Fa la 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 la. And now that would definitely send them back out to their cars. But the number one all-time song that you should never sing again in church was "We Are the Circumcision." Now I don't know. That was actually a real song, and I, I just can't go there. I mean, just trying to sing that song and what have you. So there's these things called psalms in there, and they're basically songs that we take out of the Word of God, and we direct them towards God. We declare His Word in a song. Then we have hymns, which are basically songs of praise of human composition on Christian themes that are directed towards God, if you will. And so you go throughout history and you'll find that there's these beautiful hymns that were written that many of them still even bring tears back to my eyes. When we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I mean, that's a a moving song. Some of the old old ones that, that used to be sung, remember that song? I surrender all. 
Remember the song? All to Him, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And it's been sung for decades. Billy Graham sings that at every crusade. But you know, one of the things where we kind of make a mistake in this area of hymns, and I've had some people come up to, to me in a particular service and say, well, why don't we ever sing hymns anymore? And again, I understand that there's a lot of great hymns that we should cherish and make sure we don't lose that piece of our heritage. But you know that every service we sing hymns, they're modern day hymns. They're basically songs about God that we write out of testimonies or trials that are written that we sing. And those are modern day hymns. Now, the words might be a little bit different. The intensity might be a little bit more. The hairdos might be a little bit different. Come on. But they're, they're, they're words to God. I mean, Chris Tomlin, one of my favorite songs is, How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. It's a hymn. Oh, we'll sing. How... I just want to sing it. It's just a cool song. You know, one of the songs that I really love, uh, Jeremy Scott, who led worship today, wrote a song here that we've been singing recently. It's the song that goes, Jesus, you save my soul. Come on. And Jesus, you made me whole. Now I know. And you live. Okay, you guys got it. That's good. We'll just do a worship conference here. Okay. But those are hymns. So again, you've got to understand going back to our scripture, Paul is saying, if you're going to live an abundant life and you're going to have this atmosphere around you, that's filled with life to the full, you've got to be filled with the Holy spirit. And that happens in one of the ways by engaging in worship. There's something that happens when you worship. And so when we sing psalms or we sing hymns or this next one, spiritual songs, it seems that God wants to show up and do something special in your life. Now, this is the area where I want to spend the remainder of our time together talking about this area of spiritual songs. Now, songs, a spiritual song is, is a song of praise that is spontaneous, unpremeditated and unrehearsed. Now, during the service just a few minutes ago, Jeremy, as he was leading worship, asked us to sing a song to the Lord. Now, to many of you, that may have been something new, but it was actually a scriptural command or request for us to be able to sing an unrehearsed, unmeditated, uh, unction of the Holy Spirit type song to him. And there's something that happens when we get to that place in a service or in our life or in our car or at our home with our children or in your quiet place where you are overwhelmed with the presence of God so much where it's not a song that you sing that's been written before, but it's been penned on your heart by the Holy Spirit and you open up the floodgates of heaven and you just begin to flow and begin to sing a song to the Lord. And I, I don't know how I could make it through a day without singing songs of praise to God. I start every morning, I get up, I don't care if it's a day off, there's no days off in God. I get up and I sit there and I just begin to sing a song to him. You are worthy, O oh Lord. Lord, I need you today, O oh God. Lord, you come and help me today, Jesus. You are worthy of all my praise today, God. Lord, help me with all that's in front of me today. God, I need you, I need you, I need you, Lord. And when you sing that song, something very special happens. Holy Spirit comes. 
begins to fill your life. And you begin to walk your day out with the presence of the Holy Spirit. A lot of churches today, they practice hymns and psalms. But there's not a lot of churches out there today that practice spiritual songs. And it's so important, again, this is a truth that we're bringing back to the table, back to you as a congregation to say, let's don't forget the powerful principle of lifting up the voice of, uh, of yourself, lifting up your voice to God in the area of spiritual songs. And when you think about that, there's really, the, the scripture talks about the two main ways in which we do that. One is where we sing a song over man or a prophetic word. There's times where a service is going on and someone asks, feels prof, a prophetic unction to sing over a congregation. There's one of the gentlemen in our church, Ray Reynolds. I remember every time that he comes up and sings over the congregation, that loud, boisterous voice, you can just feel the presence just penetrating the hearts of people and people begin to cry and weep and are touched by God because it's a song of the Lord. It wasn't some words that were written out. The Holy Spirit's actually singing a love song or singing a song over your life. And then the other way is just the song of the Lord to God, that we actually uh, praise him, that we are so, uh, rec- we recognize so much the goodness of God in our life, that we're saved, that we're going to heaven, that we're breathing today, that he's in our life, that you can't help but just to raise your hands and say, oh God, I love you today, oh Lord, you're worthy of all praise. And you just begin to usher out that praise to God. And so we see that as these key components of the song of the Lord. But I remember the very first time that uh, this became revelation to me. Now, again, going back into my Lake Tahoe days, because the church did it during every service and did it so often, as I came into the church, it was kind of like learned behavior. I just started doing it because everybody else did it. Some of you here may be coming a while and you just kind of do it because it's kind of what we do and maybe you've been culturized to this thought. But the time where it really became revelation to me, it was during a Sunday night service. It was very cold outside. It was snowing. There weren't a lot of people in the building. And uh, we were in the midst of this one time and the worship leader had asked us just to kind of offer up some free praise. And we were doing that. There's a gentleman right across the aisle from me. His name was Gary. Gary was an Indian and Gary was deaf since birth. Gary couldn't hear. Never heard one melody, one note ever sung, ever played. And during that particular time, all of us begin to lift our voice. And I didn't know I was just about ready to have this revelation. I'm just doing the learned behavior thing. And Lord, you're worthy, oh Lord, hallelujah. And everybody's singing and it went on for some time. And then all of a sudden, as it just began to trickle down, his eyes were closed. And because he couldn't hear that everything was trickling down or slowing down, he was still fully engaged. The Holy Spirit's just writing revelation and thoughts of gratitude and thankfulness on his heart. He's got hot tears pouring down his throat. He's just singing, He's just crying out. Now, in the natural, it just sounded so unharmonious. But the revelation hit me. It didn't matter how good he could sing, how good he couldn't sing. He was engaged with God. 
And as he began to sing over that congregation, which he didn't even know he was doing because his eyes were closed, the power of God fell upon that place and people began to fall on the floor and begin to weep and cry out. And he didn't even know it till he opened up his eyes and he was the only one standing. And it was like, I got it. I got it. That was unmeditated, unrehearsed. God writing some thoughts on his heart. And he was so consumed with the goodness of God. He was being filled with the Holy Spirit. Powerful, powerful truth. And so as we look at these thoughts, I want to encourage you wherever you're at today to try it. Forget what your personality is like. Forget what your comfort level is. Realize that the word of God has something to say when you try it. Have you ever had something, you know, where you didn't like it, but then when you tried it, you actually got addicted to it and it just became a part of your life? You know, first of all, you didn't like it. I'll be real honest. You know, I'm a pretty structured guy and I I don't like a lot of new things. I like to go on vacation to the same places. I like to sleep on the same side of the bed for the last 27 years. I like the same pillows. I like the same bedtime. I get up at the same time. I like to go to the same restaurants, and on the same restaurants, I order the same thing on the menus at those restaurants. I'm just, I mean, that's the way my life is. I don't like new things. This was a new thing for me. In fact, I'll go one step further to be honest with you. I don't eat anything underwater. If it's water and under, forget it. I mean, I don't care if it floats, swims, sinks, walks on the bottom, eats shark doo-doo. I don't care what it is. I ain't eating anything underwater. Salt water, sweet water, fresh water, mobby water, cat. Just it doesn't matter. I ain't eating anything underwater. Nothing. Okay? Just so you know. I also don't like white creamy stuff. Cottage cheese? Oh, I'm sure they serve it to people in hell. Sour cream. Cream cheese. Mayonnaise. Oh. I mean, I don't do anything white. I don't like white creamy stuff. I mean, just forget it. Well, I had a lesson to be learned. Regarding white creamy stuff. And it was around the area of yogurt. And I wouldn't eat it because yogurt was just like, it had like this thing called cultures in it, you know, and sounded healthy. I was an ice cream man. So we were in Lake Tahoe many years ago. My wife, we went to Baskin and Robbins and they had these foreign looking machines. They look like spaceships in the corner. Instead of scooping it, there's these, and it said frozen yogurt. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. She ordered one. And she says, would you like a bite? And I'm thinking, well. Forget that. You know, I got my mint chip and I got my little ice cream, you know, cookie dough, chocolate chip cookie dough, and I'm not doing that. She said, no, I'll try it, try it. So oh, I'll try it, you know, just kind of be a man and stuff. And so took a little bite. And she says, well, what do you think? I said, well, it's, it's cold. And probably never do that again. And, you know, I actually liked it. I was just too cool to admit it. And I had to literally get past the mental block. It tasted good, but I was so mentally engaged that there was something I didn't like. I wasn't going to do it. I had to get over the mental block. So we went back another time, and I actually, after a few times, I ordered frozen yogurt. I mean, you would have thought the angels from heaven were ascending and descending. My wife's going, wow, breaking out. I said, well, you know, it is good for you and stuff like that. And so I something that I didn't like, I actually tried it. And when I tried it, I actually liked it. And then I became addicted to it. 
And now it has served me very well. I do yogurt all the time. I've been working very hard on this muscular body by eating all this yogurt. If you go with me to TCBY, I love them to make them about that big, you know, and I just kind of walk out there with a big monster ice or uh, frozen yogurt. You know, the presence of God and sacrifice of praise is the same way. They go, ah, it's really not for me. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I, I, I guarantee you that if you try it, you're going to like it. And when you like it, you'll get addicted to it because there's a spiritual principle that applies. Here's what happens when you begin to offer a sacrifice of praise. Here's the first thing scripture says will happen to you is that it's going to strengthen you. You're going to find strength in yourself. If you're weary, you come in here this morning, you're tired, you're fatigued, you can't seem to break through, offer a sacrifice of praise. The Bible says that God will come into your life in Ephesians 5.19. And as you sing a spiritual psalm, hymn, or spiritual song, it says it will make a melody in your heart. It will bring alignment. There will be symphony. There will be um, just a harmony that begins to take place because it's something that fits the presence of God. And as you can get past your carnal nature and begin to get into a supernatural place of lifting your voice, God comes in and invades your life and gives you everything you need. The Bible is filled with people when they were desperate, cried out to God and he intervened. You look at Jehoshaphat in the Bible. He was facing a battle. He didn't know what to do. He said, God, I don't know what to do. The Moabites and the Ammonites, they're more than I could. God says, don't be afraid or dismayed. He says, the battle's mine. It's not yours. He says, just do me one favor. Send the worshipers out before the warriors and just get them to sing a sacrifice of praise and watch what happens. And all of a sudden they begin to go out there and begin to sing. And the Ammonites were defeated because they offered a sacrifice of praise. You see with Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They've been beaten. They're in the center of the jail. There's shackles around their life. And they give us a principle. The darker it is, the louder you should sing. And they begin to offer a sacrifice of praise. The shackles broke off of their life. The presence of God came into their life and they were strengthened. It did something not only to them, but the second thing, it began to strengthen others. You find out in that scripture in Acts 16 with, with uh, Paul and Silas is that others around them were actually set free. I believe you'll get to heaven and find people that were saved because they offered a sacrifice of praise and everyone else in that prison as that earthquake happened, the shackles broke off, the doors flew open, all of those people just were set free because of a sacrifice of praise. But the third thing that it does, and most importantly, is it exalts God. And when you exalt God, you stop exalting yourself and you get a right relationship of who God is and who you aren't. And that's a very, very important part to see. And so just with the last few minutes that we have, let me give you some thoughts about the sacrifice of praise peace. This is so important to hear because a sacrifice of praise is really a disciplined, if you will, a disciplined uh, manner in which we offer up a sacrifice to God. And let me just give you some thoughts here, three thoughts that are so important. Last week, Pastor Frank talked about this issue about being New Testament priests. And he made a statement that, again, you've got to, you've got to get this. And that was that every single one of us that are here today are priests, not the white collar type, but we're New Testament priests. First Peter two, it talks about that we are holy priests. 
and that we're living stones and that we're building this living temple, this spiritual temple. And in first Peter two, it goes on and it says that as priests, we should offer up spiritual sacrifices that please God. In the Old Testament, there was one guy, one time a year, that had the privilege to be able to go into the presence of God. They would actually tie a rope around his leg in case he was uh, so caught up in the presence of God and God took him out that they could at least pull him out. But God has given you the privilege anytime, anywhere, facing any circumstance, regardless of time, to be able to offer up a sacrifice and have his presence come. Most people miss that piece. You are a New Testament priest. And one of the main things that a priest does, the second point, is they offer spiritual sacrifices. Hebrews 13, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, and it it begins to talk about this whole aspect of the priestly uh, role that we play. And in Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Therefore, By him, meaning Jesus, because he went to the cross and died, the veil was ripped, which gave you free entrance to enter boldly and freely into the presence of God. It says, therefore, by him, let us, I like this, continually offer. Not 30 minutes on a Sunday, continually, every day of your life, offer to him what the sacrifice of what? The sacrifice of what? The sacrifice of praise to God. Unrehearsed, unmeditated, under the unction of the Holy Spirit. A song sung to him. Offer him that sacrifice. And something happens when you realize those two things. It's this. Is that God enthrones your praise. Listen, please, just for a second. In Psalm 22, David writes this, is that God enthrones the praises of Israel. And again, regardless if you've got this figured out in your mind, you've got to get this thought. When you stop and realize that you've been given the position of a priest... And that one of your primary roles is to offer a sacrifice of praise. When you do that, the presence of God comes and sits on your life. He sits on your circumstance. He sits on your marriage. He sits on the different parts of your life where you need him to show up. He comes and literally enthrones your life with his presence. And the whole point that Paul's trying to get across in Ephesians 5 is if you're going to live this kind of abundant life, if you're going to have an atmosphere around you to where you can live a life like you're intended to be with freedom and joy and peace, as you offer these songs up, God comes down and his presence falls on your life. And the more that you praise him, the more that that manifest presence, now his omnipresence is always there, but his manifest presence is in your life. I don't know about you, but I need God's presence in my life every day. I need it every moment. I have come to the place where I realize every day what faces me every single day, I can't do without him. I just can't do it. I just recognize I am incapable. I am inferior. 
come on, I'm a high school dropout. And I look at all this stuff in my life and say, God, you're asking me to do stuff. I can't even do it. But I know the one thing that I can do that will help me. And that is to give you praise, O oh Lord. And I sing a new song to you, O oh Lord. And you give me strength for this day, O oh Lord. Lord, you come and you give me joy for today, O oh Lord. And Lord, you help me with everything I face. And I can sing to him a praise. And all of a sudden, he comes down and he enthrones my praise. And he helps me through another day. What a powerful truth. This is more than learned behavior. It's more than a city Bible church thing. It's a Bible thing that if you can find this key for your life, you're going to find that life's a lot funner, life's a lot fuller, and life's a lot richer in every aspect of your life.